0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Palmer podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to be with you all. Um, I'm. It's an absolute privilege to welcome a new guest to the show today. Um, Dr. Kalia Bradshaw, EDD. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, James. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, it really is. I should just say to listeners that there might be a little bit of delay between between um, what I say and what Claire says, uh, just because of the connection. So if there's a little pause between me asking a question or saying something and and Claire saying it, that that's why it is. So just want to make clear that don't don't worry about that. We're aware of that. Um, that's uh, that's just what it's like when you record um, over the Atlantic. So um, yeah. Uh, so tell us a bit about about yourself and, and what you do. Sure.
1: Um, my name is Kalia Bradshaw. I am from Compton, California, uh, LA area. born. I recently just uh, earned my doctorate degree in education, educational leadership, to be exact, at California State University, Long Beach, which is near um, where I grew up. And uh, I work in government relations at a university out here in California. And I've been doing that work for about six years. I've been in higher education overall for almost 10 years. And uh, just super lucky to be able to do work that I'm passionate about and to be an advocate for um, student equity and making sure that there are resources attainable for all students regardless of their demographic or background. Uh, more specifically, lately, I've been doing a lot of research on uh, the educational disparity between Black men and Black women and looking at how that can impact uh, single Black women's ability to date and marry. So that's just a little bit of my background.
0: That's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I noticed about your work because that, that, I, think, I think, you know, we often think of patriarchy as a as a white thing. Uh, and that, uh, you know, obviously, and, and it's easy to, to fall into that trap because of, you know, evangelicalism and systemic racism and, you know, white supremacy. It's all about patriarchy. But um, some of the work that you've been doing kind of points out that the patriarchy isn't exclusive to that, that the patriarchy goes way deeper than that.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think you know one of the things that's super interesting and that i have even been called out on is looking at sort of patriarchy and misogyny within the black community and sometimes black people we have what i believe to be two different battles right we're we're battling white supremacy american racism which has built this entire hierarchy and and um systematic uh tiers and layers of racism. But then even within the Black community, right, Black women are still at the bottom, right? We we don't even get to hide behind sort of patriarchy because we are, we are women and what that looks like. And so I think oftentimes for Black women, there's this duality in our battles, which adds to our extreme exhaust and fatigue when, you know, just waking up every day and trying to just deal with day-to-day issues, whether it's in the workplace or even in our own homes, um, there's definitely some duality to that. And so it's been really um, enlightening for me as a Black woman, as a single unmarried Black woman to explore that. But I've also, you know, I've had some people tap me on the shoulders and kind of say, you know, you're you're being divisive even amongst our own community, which is not my intent. Um, But when it was time for me to write my dissertation, I wanted to write about Black men and Black women, but I did not want to write it in an opposing type of way. But anyone who goes into grad school knows that the best way to have a dissertation is to have a done dissertation. And I would still be writing if I decided to write this whole anthology about Black men and Black women and, and our challenges. So I focused it on Black women because there's not a lot of literature just about Black women. We're always compared to white women, or we're always compared to our male counterpart. And I just wanted to write something that explored Black women's desire to marry and to even marry Black men and how that really, as you begin to pull back the layers, dives into economic, socioeconomic status, mis- misogyny, patriarchy, education, and all of these different layers. So it's a really, really loaded sort of uh, research project that I'm still very much a part of.
0: Yeah, it sounds fascinating. And I think it you know, it's really important yeah. that we that we kind of root out patriarchy wherever we find it, oh, because yeah. patriarchy is wrong. <laughs> it's it's wrong. Uh, it's, it's it's immoral. It's unethical. It's not it's not how it should be. Um, wherever you find it, um, but it is. I guess there is that balance of like, yeah, we've got to be united um, as black as a black community to fight systemic racism. Um, but also there's this thing that's going on within within our community that's that's also going on outside, which is patriarchy. Um, and that's, yeah, that must be a tough thing to, to navigate.
1: It can be tough, um, you know, like I mentioned. But for me, I just think it's so important that it's discussed. And if we don't agree, then we don't agree. But mm. we have to talk about it, you know, because I think black women sometimes are so silenced because we're trying to be loyal to our counterparts. But there has to be a discussion about the way Black boys are raised versus the way Black girls are raised and how education and being smart is sometimes pushed as a feminine trait and sort of this, um, it's okay for boys to get detention, but not girls. And how girls get excited about, you know, getting new notebooks and pencils and a backpack for school. And it's not pushed that same way for young Black boys, and then realizing that the way that, that they're raised, we turn into adults. And what are the consequences of Black boys that are sort of pushed to athletics versus education? Well, we have a huge education gap between the, between the two genders. And then here's a Black woman who's got a master's degree looking to marry a Black man with the same education, and it doesn't exist, right? Right we need to talk about why young Black boys are pushed out of education, beginning in elementary school. We already know that in America, they use the statistics of how many Black boys are in, a in, in how many Black boys that are in elementary school to determine how many jails they need to build 20 years from then. Like there is a systemic push and we're being pushed in opposite directions. So when you look at marriage rates, there's no wonder, it's no surprise, that black women in America are at the bottom for getting married.
0: Mm, yeah. Wow. Well, that's really sad, actually, as well. Yes. Yeah, but it shouldn't be that way. I mean, it's easy for me to say as a white person, as a white male person as well, like he's probably the most privileged kind of um, group of all. Um, you know, and yeah. I mean, what's your experience of, of, patriarchy within black communities
1: well i will say that my experience i didn't even have the language to call it patriarchy when it began um my earliest memories as a young girl were you know being taught that we make the plates uh for the men and the family we serve them first before we sit down and eat ourselves and of course part of that is just showing reverence showing um you know, gratitude, but part of that is also, you know, rooted in patriarchy. I mean, I wasn't gonna tell my grandmother that, Um, and I didn't even have the language for it, but as I got older and when I started college, I remember very vividly being 18, 19, 20 years old and being so like, I'm not making any more plates for men. I'm gonna sit down and eat first. Um, I just had this overwhelming um, pressure to fight against like, I am not going to get pregnant and married and be stuck in a kitchen barefoot in an apron. I just had this vision and I was like, I'm not going to let it happen to me. And so I really went to the extreme with that. And was like, I don't believe in cooking. I don't believe in this. I'm, you know, I've kind of pushed back a little bit on myself and, you know, now I do cook, but that's also very new for me as well. Um, me cooking is only as recent as the pandemic (laughs) because the restaurants are closed over here. Um, but I had a very, very strong sense of feminine identity when I was younger. Um, my father was in the Nation of Islam uh, here in, in Los Angeles, um, and they are a very, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it, misogynistic religion. Um, men and women don't even sit on the same sides um, in the temple. And um, was my initial upbringing, I didn't really wear jeans until high school, unless I was doing some sort of outdoor activity uh, you know, my father very much believed that, uh, you know, little girls wear dresses and he always wanted me to have bows and lace socks and just be a cute little girl, which I was, and I'm appreciative of that. And to this day, I have far more dresses than pants. <laughs> I am not someone who wears pants, uh, to work often. And so those are the types of things that are still with me now. Of course, I'm mature enough and have the language to sort of manipulate that in a, in a, way that I, I don't have any extreme trauma around it. But in my relationships and in my datings, I'm, I'm very, very outspoken about gender roles and what I feel comfortable doing versus allowing someone to tell me what my role is going to be. And so not all men are okay with that, with how outspoken that I am, but I just don't want to end up in a situation like some so many of the women that I know, where they are sort of stuck in a relationship due to not having financial and economic power even within their own marriage. So I have a very serious list of rules of things that I will not um, bend on when it comes to me dating and being in relationships.
0: That's really wise, I think. That's really wise. Uh, and, yeah, I think – and it's and it's really important. I mean, I'm, I've been single for a long time. And the longer that I've been single, the the, the more that – you you decide oh you know what i'm going to set really strong boundaries on who i date what their values are what their boundaries are what my boundaries are with them like you know what i'm going to accept and what i'm not going to accept you know i've had to say no to relationships which could have been really great relationships because of really strict boundaries that i had about my values uh and i didn't feel any i didn't feel any sense of like i did the wrong thing when i when i stood up for my values you know that i wasn't going to accept certain 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 beliefs that other people had that i disagreed with that they, they were kind of non-negotiables so it's really important to have those boundaries uh, and better to wait and and meet someone who is willing to abide by your boundaries and by you know your values and shares your values than kind of rush into something with somebody who isn't who isn't willing to do that
1: Absolutely. And good for you. I, you know, men should have boundaries as well. I think that sometimes some of these conversations are done in silo, right? Women talk and men talk, but men and women aren't talking. Um, I just recorded an interview with two guy friends last week. And that was sort of the premise of the conversation. I said, we can't continue. We can't afford to continue to have these conversations separate you know, women need to hear from men, men need to hear from women. And if marriage is indeed the goal for some people, right, I recognize that that's not the goal for everyone. And that's completely okay. I don't even know if it's the goal for me anymore sometimes. But if that is indeed the goal, then my friend said something so amazing. It's like, when men talk about marriage to single guys, it's not always in the most positive light. It's kind of like, oh yeah, the old ball and chain said this, or gotta get home before the wifey cracks down the whip. It's kind of like yeah. always in this, yeah, like this this frame of like negative, you know. But I think maybe men, I guess, the men who can, not the unhappy ones who can, but the happy ones who can, should maybe talk about it in a little bit more of a positive light, so it's not always seen as like. Once you get married, it's like the beginning of the end of your life, which is how it's even framed in movies, you know?
0: That's right, yeah. Uh, oh, I kind of believe this more. Uh, this kind of people calling their wife the boss and, you know, yes. and kind of, and I'm like, look, you know, uh, I never say anything because I'm single and I, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to say something, but I'm always thinking, like, yeah, I I, I, want a, I don't want a relationship where what I, anyone is the boss. I want a relationship of a partnership of equals, where everyone, where both partners are empowering, encouraging, supporting each other, and no. you take time to take the lead depending on what the situation is or the circumstance or whatever, and what you're good at, and you know, and it's a partnership, like and kind of talking. Yeah, I've never been comfortable about men talking, kind of kind of bantering kind of about their partners you know kind of men's men's night out or whatever you know i never felt comfortable with it i never thought i never felt i could engage in that if i if i were married or had a had a long-term partner because it just doesn't feel doesn't feel right you know it doesn't feel like it's like it's really appropriate you know um yeah
1: Yeah, and you want it to feel natural more than anything. I mean, appropriate, absolutely, and natural. You know, I think so many times, whether it's because of social media or movie or anything that we're consuming, or it could even be like the examples around us. I know for me, majority of my friends are married. I can count my single friends, (laughs) like on one hand. (laughs) But it's usually an odd number when we all hang out and it's odd because, because of me. So it it would be party of 10 with five couples, except I'm not, you know, I'm not married or, um, you know, oftentimes don't bring a plus one to different events and I have to work actively, um, against some of that, I guess you could call it peer pressure, right? It's not in a negative connotation at all, but just the majority of my peers are married And if I'm hanging around them, I have to be careful to not desire like, oh, if I get married, I should want it to be like that. Because a lot of times it can really just be in my mind and not for any type of like, oh, I'm depressed and everyone's married but me. But literally because it's all around me, (laughs) it's it's it. It's just I'm consumed with, with marriage and I'm not even married. And so what I do with that is I... Look at all of my friends and and their relationships, and I think it's wonderful that they're all married and they're starting families, but I always think about, what do I want? Is that what I want? Do I want to get married? Do I want to have children? And I also always think about, what if I decide to do things differently than my friends? How will I still continue to fit in my different social groups if I decide, I don't want to get married, but I want to have a baby? Or I don't want to get married, but I want to have a baby with my boyfriend. And we're going to do this non-traditional cohabitating, co-parenting thing, which is not what any of my, I don't know anyone in my my social groups who's doing that, right? So um, I think looking at marriage from a single perspective is very, very different than looking at marriage from a married perspective. I'm not looking at it from a married perspective because I'm not married. but. I see how many people, whether they know what or not, sort of measure their marriage against other people or look at what they're doing. And I already know I'm different because I've like I've said for like the last five years, like I I wouldn't have a baby with somebody that didn't make six figures. And I know people think that that's crazy, but um, I don't know. I just feel like if I had a baby, I would need a nanny, like a full time one. I just don't see myself doing it alone. <laughs> And like giving up my Nordstrom card. So that may make me a bad mom to somebody, but it, I also feel like it makes me very realistic that I don't want to have a baby until I know we make, you know, we're both making a certain amount of money. Some people may think that that's smart. Some people may think that that's selfish. Like, I don't know. So I, I think about that quite a bit. Um, I think I'm at the age of 34 and a half to where Having a kid sooner or later should probably be a topic of discussion. So I'm always just like, ah, we'll see if it happens or not. But it's definitely something that I think subconsciously women do. We look at each other's experiences. We sort of compare and contrast. And it can be a dangerous little mind game if you, you know, really let it get to you. And it's gotten to me at some point. So that's why I'm so familiar, you know, with the feelings around it.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, That's a massive that's 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 what, and you're, you're we're all entitled to set our own boundaries and our own kind of standards, um, for what we want to do, it's our life, you know, um, and it's right that we have those boundaries, absolutely. Um, yeah. so, um, and yeah, like it, again, it's worth waiting for the right person, um, um, because it's better to wait for the right person than. Than uh, than get married earlier. I think didn't um, Kamala Harris get married in her late thirties or Mm forties? Yeah, and she's now got a great marriage, an equal marriage, and she's a stepmom. She's she loves it, and um, she's her stepchildren love her. And yeah, Um, I love. In fact, I love the the example that they've kind of set as well as a married couple. Um, um, Yeah, with the first female vice president. Yeah. in History. It's really great, you know. Um and of course a woman of colour as well, which is I think is brilliant. Um it's a great example. And uh yeah, absolutely. Um it's strange how this conversation turned into one about singleness and marriage and- I
1: know. I was just thinking about that,
0: but I am okay with it. That's why I love doing these podcasts and not obviously you plan ahead and you 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 know, you prepare and things and you have questions and everything. But um, I also like to kind of see where conversations go and be organic. And it's always really interesting where they go.
1: It is, it's, it's fun. And you know, what you said about uh, Vice President Harris, it's, it's so very true. It also makes me think of First Lady, Dr. Biden, because she's keeping her job. And so here she is married to, you know, the leader of the free world, and she's going to work. And I just think that that is so awesome and so different um, because she's like, yeah, sure, my husband's the president, but I'm a professor and I love it and I'm going to keep my job. And so that's also very different. I mean, this is the first time in the history of this country where we've had the first lady who maintained her nine to five, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. It really is. I was so, so happy when they got elected and so happy that about so happy to see the example that they're setting to people. Um, it, it's in so many ways, you know. It's uh, it's. Yeah, it's
1: I great. was very happy when they got elected. I will, I will let you know, James. Prior to that, I was, I was looking at coming across the pond and joining you over there in the UK. I thought I was going to have to make a run for it.
0: Uh, yeah, I, honestly, I could appreciate that. If um, if um, the last, the previous president, I won't say his name, but if he got elected again, that would have been, yeah, a nightmare. Yeah, um, I, can, I can imagine wanting to run away from that. Like, um,
1: yeah, I would have been calling um, you, looking for uh, ways to get a visa to get out of here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's not that brilliant. Here we've got a, we've got our own version of Trump. It's not quite as bad as Trump, I don't think, but still not brilliant. Uh, and Brexit and all of those things which have happened, yeah. and so. i'm kind of thinking like i'd like to run away to (laughs) run away to america um (laughs) um, i'm joking i'm sort of half joking i'm I'm half thinking about it um um, so yeah yeah but um yeah it's really interesting interesting times um so um what in doing doing your research um what was the biggest thing that you learned that you that maybe you hadn't understood before?
1: Sure. So I went into my research thinking I was going to uncover, you know, why there are so many educated single black women. It was important to me that my paper was not male bashing in any way. So that I was really intentional uh, about making sure that the narrative around black men was not negative, right? Um, So, for example, I did not include any data on the Black male incarceration rate, because although Black men are largely um, incarcerated in this country, um, many of which wrongfully so, in some states, the reason why single Black women are single, it is not because of Black male incarceration. And so I didn't want to put these kind of two facts Against each other, like oh, there's so many single black women because black men are in jail, which is what we hear often um, from you know reputable sources. And I said I am not adding to that narrative. So one thing that I thought that I was going to uncover was just women's experiences as to why they're single and whether or not they blame or feel their education and educational attainment and their careers have played a role in that. And if so, what was that role? But what I ended up uncovering was a variety of themes about their experiences and that it was far more layered than I had expected. Um, And that largely is related to the marriage rates and the socioeconomic information around that. And so for some of the women, their experiences with singlehood are largely because of where they're living. So for example, some of the participants that I had in the Midwest said, you know, I live and work in Detroit. Many of the men here work blue collar jobs. I have a PhD in biochemistry. They're not necessarily interested in me. And even if I am interested in them, they are largely intimidated by me, right? Um, And so for a little bit of context, I'll share that uh, for the purposes of my dissertation, I interviewed 47 single Black women across the United States Over half of them had a doctorate as well, whether it was a Ph.D., Ed.D., or even an M.D., a medical uh, medical degree. Um, Some were lawyers, but all of them had at least a master's degree. And so already then they were in a sort of population that excludes many black men. And so what came out of that was whether or not their, their childhood played a role. Many of them talked about not having a good examples of what Black healthy love looked like for them, whether it's from their parents or other people in their family. Many of them talked about uh, whether being smart at a young age and having opportunities to obtain scholarships, you know, sort of had them so focused on school that they missed what we called the magic window. Statistically, in the United States, most women who are white get married shortly after undergrad, their undergraduate degree, which puts them somewhere between their early and mid-20s. I mean, I was still partying pretty hard in my early to mid-20s, mainly because I went straight to grad school and just kind of kept the undergrad party going. But I definitely was not looking to get married at 24 to 26 years old. Uh, But shout out to those who did. I just I wasn't mature enough at that point at all. And I was very much focused on my master's program. So for those who have already graduated from college and many of the women that I talked to had graduated from a master's program or a doctorate program and was working, you know, full time, they wondered if they missed their magic window. Is the magic window real? Does it exist? And what happens to us who did not get married during that window, where do we meet qualified eligible bachelors? And so that was something that just turned into a whole nother research paper in and of itself, which is why I'm still continuing the work that I'm doing. But it was fascinating to just hear the experiences of these women. It created a sisterhood, um, not only for me, but for them. You know, they were excited to even know that I had talked to so many other women I could have kept interviewing, I really could have. I received over 500 messages from women who wanted to participate in my study. And I narrowed it down to 50, and out of the 50 I was able to secure and finalize 47 interviews. And my dissertation committee thought that I was insane. Most people who collect data for a dissertation, you know, maybe have up to 20 participants if you're doing a qualitative study. So the fact that I was trying to do 50, they're like, you're never going to graduate. You're insane. But it was a life changing experience, James, honestly. It, I would read my data and cry. Tears of joy, tears of relatability, tears of sadness. Because I qualified for my own study. You know, I could 100% feel and relate to the experiences. And um, I mean, it was, it was, it was life changing. That's all I could say. It, it has changed my life and it has given me new purpose um, and a new sense of joy to make this an educational issue because a lot of people think that oh that's just a social issue it belongs in a magazine maybe ebony or essence which it does but it's also very much an academic issue and um, that's that's my goal is to bring this to academic attention.
0: Yeah and it's really really important it's really really important and it's so wonderful to hear how it changed you. I mean, you can hear it in your voice that it, this this really meant something, and um, it really connected, and it really did shape you. Um, and it's often, the, I mean, I found that's often the case when we create things, mm. when we pour a lot of ourselves into something over a, over a period of time, that it will, that it shapes us, that it changes us. You know, when you write a book, when you, you know, even even doing a podcast over five or six years, you know, two hundred and fifty episodes plus now um it changes you you learn something it, you know you connect with it um yeah because you pull yourself into it and and you receive uh as, as you, and you find connection and you find more of yourself yeah it's um it's a beautiful thing
1: it is it really is and it, this was really my first time sort of being creative um you know when I was little I Asked for an ESO. I tease my mom about this to to this day. I asked for an ESO for my fifth birthday and I never got it because, and I always tell her, you limited my creative potential. It could have been, you know, Picasso. But now in this dissertation process, I really did get a chance to be creative. I did video interviews with these women and um, now I have, you know, people who want me to turn it into a documentary and turn it into a book. And so it is really cool that now I get to be creative and it gets to be about a
0: project that i'm so passionate about yeah yeah and that's when the best work comes when it's something that something you're invested in something that you care about something that you're interested in uh that brings you to life Um, that's when you create the best work Uh, that's when that's that's what should be the driver of all our creative work is something that we care about something that we are invested in something that is from within us yes um um, because if you're just going to a book, a book, com- uh, book publisher, and saying, "What's selling? I'll write a book about that," then you're not going, you're not, Im- you're not invested in that emotionally. You're not. It's not part of your story. You're just going and basically saying, "What's going to make the most? What's going to make me the most money?" Um, and you'll never create your best work doing that. I've always said that. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, what you're doing
1: thank you thank you i appreciate that and congratulations on that 250 plus episodes that's wonderful
0: yeah i know and it's it's really interesting because i never when i started the podcast it was more like a i'll just i was just curious about about podcasting and what it would be like and how i would do it you know and um it was never meant to be the thing you know and uh and here i am you know now i'm known, now i'm known more for podcasting than writing which is ironic because I, I blogged regularly for about 13 years and i wrote a, a few books mm-hmm. um and i i had i re- i've got i had a really bad case of writer's block for for quite a while because of the writing some major trauma that i went through with a writing mentor but which is a whole different story but um yeah and so now people know me more for podcasting than writing which which is really ironic yeah um, <laughs> um, yeah, <I> we talking. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it's just, it's it's really interesting that you know that what you fall into by accident, almost when you just follow your curiosity. I think that's always a really important thing to do when you know when you're creating is just to just listen to your curiosity. What is what interests you? What intrigues you? What questions you have? What what would that what would that be interesting to explore? Um, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And like you said, you know, when you follow that curiosity, that's usually where the creativity and the passion and the things that you're excited about sort of just kind of come free flowing. And so even doing this podcast, uh, with you, I am feeling the more spontaneity around it. And it just kind of gives an opportunity for both of us to just Sort of talk, and I I love that. I'm like, I want to take this approach. You know, Um, I have a website launching uh, next week, and I'm you know I've been sitting on it for months. Honestly, I started this last summer, just waiting for it to be like perfect and all this stuff. And now I'm just like, let creativity flow. You know, fix it later, kind of thing. Um, But sometimes we can wait on perfection, and perfection may never come until we actually just launch it. And then you realize that even in the imperfections, things are perfect for you. And uh, I can say that's a lesson that that I've learned. I I was waiting for 2020 that year for so long. You know, I started my doctorate in 2017. It was a three-year program. So I'm like, 2020, that's it. I'm graduating, I'm getting a new job. We're going to Jamaica, we're partying. You know, I had the biggest graduation party ever planned. 250 people were coming. I had a trip to Jamaica with 43 people going and here comes COVID. And I literally, it took me a couple of weeks. I'm not even going to lie or sugarcoat it. It took me a couple of weeks to grieve my events that I was missing because I was looking forward to them so much. And so many people really supported me in my program and um, let me cry on their shoulders, literally gave me money, bought me snacks. I took classes at night, you know, gave me Starbucks cards. So this party that I was planning was really for like, it was for my people. It was for the community. I wanted to give back and like party with everybody all night and it just got shut down. And I just did not know how to respond. I am such an avid planner. Um, I can tell you what I'm wearing next Wednesday. You know, like I am just that kind of person that already has things planned out you know I'm I I pack my suitcase usually 10 days before a trip like I'm really really kind of psycho with it wow yeah it's it's not that,
0: <laughs> that's impressive like knowing what clothes you're gonna wear in 10 days time that yeah, that's I know that's that's incredible honestly I've never heard that before my, my therapist
1: uh, wants me to tone it down a little bit <laughs> she's like Leah it's okay if you you know wait a couple days before the trip to pack and I don't I don't know I've been like this my whole life I will tell you that and in a hope to bring comfort to people who think I'm completely weird and neurotic um I have been like this forever my favorite thing as a child was a notebook or a journal or a planner and I got my very first planner like a calendar planner in the third or fourth grade and it has been a wrap ever since every since then I have had a planner. I write everything out, Um, my phone has color-coded calendars in it, Um, yellow is for friends, purple is for family, blue is for work, and everything is like color-coded. So I know this podcast is not about, you know, organization and being completely neurotic about life, but I am. The point is, is that this pandemic and this quarantine has really forced me to slow down because I don't even need a calendar because I don't go anywhere, (laughs)
0: so yeah i know i mean my calendar basically is like when i'm when i'm doing podcasts when i have um call, uh, calls with my therapist or my coach when i when i have calls with friends you know uh that's when i'm going to the office because i go to the office like once every two weeks because we have to do that for our work um because normally i work from home mm-hmm. uh yeah, that's it you know i don't have color codes i don't have color codes um but the thing is i don't have any plans to go out with uh, friends and stuff at the moment because well you know i'm not um i can't (laughs) so uh, um but yeah yeah i mean we're we're, we're all unique we all kind of do things in our own way and there's nothing wrong with it um yeah wow this conversation has really gone like about three or four different places i know i'm so sorry (laughs) No, it's no, nothing. No, it's nothing to apologise for at all. I love it when this happens because, like, we talked about systemic racism, we talked about patriarchy, we talked about singleness, we talked about creativity, we talked about, you know, it's um, yeah, it's amazing. Really, uh, I love these kind of episodes because, you, you know, the only difficulty with these episodes is you don't know what to title them because there's so many different things that we've covered. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah you, it's really been
1: great. Fun Friday with a
0: neurotic American, you know just <laughs> <laughs> <I>, yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether i use that title that wouldn't be be fair, but um <laughs> but um, fun Friday sounds interesting, does not it but uh yeah, um I mean so I'm just like going back to your work just one more time like what what's kind of the next step for you, for your research and the work that you're doing and uh, and where you want to kind of go next?
1: Yeah. Um, so I am currently in a postdoc program, which as I know that sounds crazy cause like who needs more school, but it really gave me, um, an opportunity to continue to work with my, uh, dissertation chair, uh, amazing woman uh, named Dr. Anna Ortiz. She was the chair of my dissertation. And, um, She was like, I think you have more to say and there's more that can be done. And so right now I am currently working on turning my dissertation into an academic journal article, which is not as easy as I thought it would be because I'm trying to condense a couple hundred pages into 25. (laughs) Um, And then I'll shop that around and hope that it gets picked up by some journals to be published. In addition to that, I'm going to continue the research. I have hopes and dreams of turning it into a documentary. I want to turn it into a book. And I also just want to continue to do the work. So I'm still reading. I'm still learning. I'm still researching. Uh, my goal is to uh, be a speaker at Essence Festival, which is a huge uh, Black American event in New Orleans every July. I don't even know if it's ever going to happen again due to COVID. But I had the opportunity of going several summers ago and it's just a great place and it's catered to black women. And so I just want to get this on as many stages and as many, I don't know, magazines and books and podcasts as possible, because I I think it's just such an important topic. And a lot of times black women are singled out for being single, as ironic as that may sound. Um, And it's always seems to be so negative. And I just don't want that anymore. You know, I I want it to be, if women want to be single, great. And if they want to get married, that's also great. But I just want more positivity around the experiences of women in their singlehood, uh, particularly Black women, because that's where the largest disparity is. So I'm just going to continue to do the work. Um, Ironically enough, the work that I do here and for, you know, Black women and, and singlehood and all of that has nothing to do with my day job. Um, day-to-day, I work in government relations at the institution where I work, which could not be further from this fun and exciting stuff that we talked about. And, um, you know, I want to continue to move up in my career as well. I uh, just launched a educational consulting firm with one of my really good friends and former colleagues, and he and I are, are planning on taking um, education by storm, by offering consulting services to schools and universities and different organizations that need help uh, either developing and creating curriculum for uh, Black students or just even um, anything related to education in general. We, we believe that we are experts and we have a lot to offer. Um, so those are just a few of the things that are going on with me right now that I'm going to continue to work on.
0: It's fantastic. Really inspiring. Uh, really inspiring, yeah. Uh, and I'm excited for you to see where it goes um what would be one thing that you would want to one word of wisdom encouragement something you've learned along the way that you'd want to pass on to, to single black women who might be listening to this
1: one thing let's see I would say don't be discouraged don't be discouraged and Do your best to have fun. One of my friends, one of my really good friends told me, there is a reason why you're single. There are things that you can do in your life single that you won't be able to do married. And when he said that to me, I was kind of like, okay, easy for you to say you're married and you want it to be married, like, you know, whatever, whatever. But the more I think about it, I, I mean, and I think about that almost every day. And I said to myself, as a single person, I don't think about the sacrifices that married people have to make, right? Maybe there is something that, you know, he may want to run off and do, but he's married and has kids and realizes that there's some sacrifices and some compromise and some balance in that. Those are things that I don't have to worry about. If I decide I want to quit my job and get a Harley and ride somewhere, I can do that. I don't really have any major um, things that are, that are going to, you know, quote unquote, tie me down. I don't like to use that language because it sounds negative. So that I'm I'm learning to not be discouraged. I'm learning to have fun in this space that I am, because if, or when my status changes and I get married, there will be things that I won't be able to just go and do as easily. Um, And so that, that's my advice to single women listening. Um, Enjoy the space that you're in, and make it as fun for yourself as possible, and avoid the people that are that are that make it negative. You know, being single does not have to be negative. So, I hope that helps.
0: Yeah, that's really encouraging. That sounds like great advice for just single single people generally, to be yeah. honest. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Uh, and where can people connect with you and connect with connect with your work?
1: So, um, I am a avid tweeter, as you know, James. We met on Twitter. <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. Yes.
1: Um, They can follow me on Twitter. My, my Twitter handle is at the K Bradshaw. That's T H E E K Bradshaw. That's my, my Twitter handle on Instagram. My IG name is my full name, one word, Kalia Bradshaw. And uh, those are probably the two best ways to stay in touch with me and, uh, keep an eye out for additional research. A lot of people want to read my dissertation. It is available on a database called ProQuest. I do believe that you need to have some sort of educational login to get it. Either have a university email address or something like that. But if people reach out to me directly, I can look into getting a copy email to them. It is copyrighted. I do require people to cite me if they quote me. <laughs> Um, but then I will also be having a website launching on Valentine's day and it will be kaliabradshaw.com.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much. And we'll definitely have you back in the future when you're doing more research and we hear more about what you're, what you've learned, what you're learning. Cause uh, it sounds really, really interesting and really important. So thank you.
1: Thank you, James.
0: It's been a pleasure. I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And, uh, and, uh, thanks for listening, everybody.